Blackitecture is an annual Empavilion talk series bringing together Indigenous built environment practitioners. Blackitecture's Indigenising Education Talk. Um, I think, Kelly, it'd be great if you could uh, talk a little bit about the Aboriginal Environments Research Centre just to give some context to what it is and how it works. Um, and sort of, uh, I guess it's well known for delivering a range of research and subjects. I'm curious to know how long it took to create this centre and whether or not it's something you think could be replicated at other universities? Uh, yes, it could be replicated. And, you know, as I mentioned, Uni of Auckland have got an amazing um, staff there, but they don't have the, quite the research centre. It, it's really Paul Mehmet's baby is the Aboriginal Environments Research Centre. So he's a white fella um, married to an Aboriginal woman and he's been... He tells a story like this, that, you know, he finished architecture school and he went out driving to find some good surf and found himself in Aboriginal communities and went, wow, I didn't learn about this in architecture school. Some familiar story. And, you know, took up a PhD about Aboriginal place and place identity and architecture and really came back to uni and started it with Peter Bycroft, um, another architect, and took it from there. So from the mid-1970s, which is a long time ago even for me, um, and so they started off with the data archive and doing a whole lot of little consultancy projects and working with communities, and eventually it became a key part of the School of Architecture with people sort of affiliated to it. So I'm affiliated, but I'm on the staff of the school, but then there's researchers and different projects that get funded, and so people sort of gather around this name. But really it's just a bunch of people who just all like working together on this area with different interests and different um, freedom to do different kinds of research. So I, I guess that's what's really interesting. But the key thing is that we try and feed the research back into the teaching and say, these people have discovered this. How could we incorporate that into design studio or history or whatever? They're the two main things. It's a bit... We haven't really worked out a way to do it in technology yet. Um, and so that's how it's worked, really. But it has also provided a little sort of home away from home for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students who we've had going through. And we've literally had students running up the day of their thesis saying, it's not good enough. And everyone's standing around saying, it really is. Just print it. You're going to be fine. Uh, because they know that they're going to, you know, they've got to know people there and they've felt like it was a welcoming place. And I do think that that makes a difference for people like the student you were talking about who felt that they weren't, you know, supported or they weren't interested or, you know, some of the ones that you've mentioned who felt that they weren't reflected in the curriculum. So I think that even if it's not... It's not a huge part of their life. It, it brings a presence to the school where people at least know that some people are interested in them and their culture. And that, for some people, that that's, that's really the first time they've had that um, experience at uni. Even though we have, you know, a great Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander unit, it's not necessarily architects and people who understand that specific kind of stress that architecture and built environment courses have about design and how it's very personal and you're giving so much of yourself to it, it feels very stressful mm. handing it in. It's not like doing a maths test or whatever. Yeah. It's a bit... It's would a bit would you suggest the physical space had something to do with it? Because there's the support going on elsewhere, but this example seems to have an actual centre or a physical space? It, it does, and that is good and bad. 
So it's great because it's got a nucleus and there's a whole lot of stuff there and books and all that kind of thing. But it also, I think, can sometimes feel a little separate from the rest of the school and I don't think that's a good thing. I think it would be better if everyone from the school was, especially where it is in the school, is the top level of a pretty crappy building. And so if we were on the entry level and mm. people were all walking through all the time, I think that they might sort of think of us more often and maybe say... I'm doing a course and I wondered if maybe I should do something differently this year. That would be helpful, I think. So, you know, there's positives and negatives to having your own space. Sometimes it's good to open it up. Michael, you mentioned before about the project you undertook uh, where you indigenised the curriculum of first years for a one-year period. I'm curious to know what you thought was successful and what you thought wasn't successful, leaving aside the fact that it didn't continue. But in that year, what did you find the results were? Well, there was a lot of success. Um, the lectures were the, the biggest attended lectures for years. So UTS has a, a public lecture series. Um, it's always held on the same time, Wednesday, 6 o'clock. And the numbers started dwindling ever since um, ARM came, right? Big spike and then... And then the Indigenous Lecture Series got similar type of numbers. So that, that to me says um, the, the faculty in the university, not just architects, but we had the admin people coming up. We had, and then we had people from the street. So it was, it was advertised. And so that, that to me says there is an appetite in general for it. So I think that was really successful. Um, the other thing was the student, fa student feedback surveys. They loved it. <laughs> a lot of them were saying similar things like, oh, I never knew, I ne didn't know about this stuff. Now, now that it's gotten me thinking around other ideas of architecture, you know, or more than just, you know, a, a box or a form or, you know, architecture or design can be more than that. It can, it can tell us about our, our culture or who we are. So those, those things were really good. Um, what we could have done better... I think, in, in, so leaving aside that it's not, not a continual thing, and I, I, that's fine, I understand that, that interest levels spike and, and go up and down, that's okay. But um, maybe, oh geez, it's a tricky one, but structural support to, to ensure that some of, some of the magic that we created during that lecture series and during the other ideas were recorded or, or documented. That's why I think it's a great idea that you turn this into some sort of, you know, you write it, like write it down or turn it into a video. We didn't do that. We didn't, we didn't take that extra step. Uh, Jasmine, I'd love to ask you about your interior design studies and the fact that you, it culminated in a thesis based on, you know, your community of Lajumanu, Walpuri community. How do you feel... I mean, there was, you've mentioned before there was no Indigenous content in your degree. How did you infuse that design project with your own understanding of that place and how was that received? How did you infuse your thesis with an Indigenous understanding of interior design and how was that received? Um, I just want to first say um, I think there, there may have been content. I, I just wasn't exposed to it. I don't want to... You know, offend RMIT. Um, uh, how was it received? I think uh, initially 
Um, it wasn't really well received, um, which was actually really disappointing and almost uh, turned me away from my thesis. Um, but then I was put with, yeah, a brilliant tutor. Um, and I think uh, when that happened, um, yeah, I was really given the tools I needed with her um, to research in the way that I wanted to research. Um, and it, it generally did have a really positive response. Um, and, yeah, from my family and from my community, which is the response I valued most, um, yeah, a really great response. Um, and I think it was a conversation that sort of hadn't really happened in Lejumanu previously. Um, and so I think, you know, members of my family really enjoyed talking about the built environment in Lajamanu and the problems um, that have always been there um, post-colonisation. Um, but then, yeah, it came back to, in terms of feedback and critique, I did often feel stifled in my research when it came to working alongside um, other tutors. Yeah, there was only so much advice and guidance that could be given. Um, yeah, and, and then I guess it's really hard. Often tutors don't want to be culturally inappropriate. Um, and, yeah, so I think, I think it's tricky. I think um, I'll ask one more question and then we'll open up to anyone in the audience who's got a question burning. Um, I'm quite interested to know what you're working on next in terms of education. What do you think should happen now? What should happen next in education? Around this idea or just in general? <laughs> uh, indigenous education of built environment. Um, does anyone have an uh, answer burning? while I think about it? I think there needs to be a lot of reflection and overhaul of um, a lot of the current policies and systems that are in place. Um, but in terms of beyond that, uh, I'm not really sure. Well, I'm trying to make sure that we've got design studio with some sort of Indigenous theme or content in the masters, especially as much as we can, hopefully every year. Um, because most of our Indigenous content is about history and that kind of thing and it's in the undergrad. Um, and we have a whole new cohort joining us, especially of international students. And I think it's really important for people who get a degree in Australia, no, no matter where they're from, to get some knowledge and understanding of what's happening in Australia. And, you know, Indigenous rights is the most pressing social issue in Australia. It's without a doubt, the most pressing thing we need to address. We've been failing to address it for the longest time. So we need to make sure that everybody who goes through uni in Australia is starting to understand some of the ways that we can help uh, and make things better if we can as architects. So I'm, I'm, we're trying to do that. Um, we've got a thing called the Social Outreach Studio, which takes students for free because it's philanthropically funded to... Uh, community, working on country with them and working at their direction. And it's not a design studio, it's part of the research curriculum because it's hard to fulfil all those things like competency standards if you don't have certain things in design, right? So we're up against these important bureaucratic measures but nevertheless, you know, they can change what you need to do. So that social outreach studio is going really well. We've only run it, run it twice but we're working with a community um, south of Cooktown on Shipton's Flat. They're, you know, it's their, it's their own land 
Um, they've got native title on it and then they've got leasehold and we're working with them to help them develop um, sustainable businesses basically but what are the infrastructure and architecture needs of that um, and so we're hoping to have a long-term relationship and that students can join in to that relationship but there's people who are going to be you know more permanently associated so i think projects like that where it is indigenous led in terms of what the community wants and we can join in with the students and the cash i mean it's it, it's tricky you don't want to take away from what practitioners can do and you don't want to overpromise because you also don't want to give people student work is great but it's obviously not professional standard people are still learning so you have to it's, there's a there's some interesting boundaries there but I still think that there's a role for students to be involved in that kind of thing. And I, I think that that's really could be a good model. Um, well, <laughs> what I think should happen next um, is more of an immediate um, thing in the sense that we're talking a lot about Indigenous education and that happens in the Institute. That's fantastic. Um, but I'm interested in, in what next. So, and also broadening the concept of, of indigenous design knowledge to not just be something institutional, but rather it, it can be applied to the profession and should be applied to the profession. And thus we get toward this blue sky dreaming that I, I hope we get one day. Um, yeah, so CPDs, then maybe the next thing. So all those practitioners out there who haven't had very much of an education and aren't here, because it's all young people, almost, you know, we could have some CPD for them to say, okay, so you're working on a hospital. Have you thought about all your clients who are going to be coming to this hospital? Have you thought about who you might be working with? Um, so I think some focus on that would be really positive because obviously most architects out there are, are over 50 or something. Maybe we need it to be a competency for registration and then it sort of works at both ends. It has to be a CPD and it has to be taught. Yeah, that, mm. that's very interesting. Well, uh, international competencies do include stuff about non-Western architecture, but we don't have that here, I believe. But yes, we could have that, couldn't we? This might be interesting. Yeah. All right, let's open out to some questions. I think there's one... There are some uh, examples of indigenous community-led design processes from the 80s. I'm thinking of Greg Burgess and Brambook Centre as well as Araluen Centre in Darwin. Um, are these taught? And how can you increase and refine... Well, that's the wrong word, but increase the collaborative process work that is so important given the complexity of bureaucracies, communities, and education. People do learn about Burgess and Brambach, of course. That's probably the most famous example that all architecture students know about. Um, I think it's really hard to teach those collaborative processes in the university. I agree. There's some of the things that you probably have to learn working in an office because, you know, you, you kind of playing at university to a certain extent. You're trying to learn certain things. Um, and I, I do think you can learn some of those processes, but I don't think the profession should just always say, oh, it's up to universities to teach that. And there's some people who are doing amazing work. You know, Tanganjira 
would be the longest kind of architecture practice and organisation and um, one of the most successful. They have an incredible range of designs and it's Indigenous owned and the architects are working for those communities and are extremely successful. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a huge amount of fantastic examples out there that we can learn from. Um, but I don't think we should only confine the learning to, to the university setting. Well, I mean, I mentioned this earlier. They are taught, but unfortunately they're often the only practices that are mentioned when it comes to designing with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and they're white. So, I mean, they, they are taught. But. How much of it was... That was never in my education, so I'm curious to know how much of it was taught because what I'd be curious to incorporate within the degree is the process. What was the process that was gone through and what was the collaboration? You might not be able to actually collaborate or maybe we should be able to collaborate. Maybe we should have a subject on collaboration and client consultation because I certainly never got that and that would be very helpful in practice. <laughs> and I agree, it is something that you learn and architecture and built environment courses can't teach you everything that you need to know. But actually being able to engage with other humans and understand what the brief is and be able to respond to that properly would be a really good thing to include in an architecture and built environment degree. I think you're right. I mean, Brambach is the one that people always drag out, but I get a bit frustrated with the whole cultural centres focus as well because they're not the most common form of building and, you know, Brambach's not a super successful business. But also, who, who are these centres catering to? Exactly, yeah, they're tourism locations. They're not for Aboriginal people. The only experience I have with that building, and it's the first time I heard Greg's name, was um, one of our academics was criticising the building because um, this is what this academic said, was he thought that the design influences were not Aboriginal but rather came from other West, uh, Eastern cultural influences. I don't know what, what he quite meant by that, but I remember listening to it and going, what? And then looking at the building in a different lens, I suppose. I don't know either, either way about that claim. Well, he certainly claims to have sat down with the elders and talked with them about what was going to go into the building. But I agree. I mean, I would like to hear about how Fran and Andrew Lane collaborate and what their process is. And that's partly why we wrote our book, because we wanted to get, you know, we wanted to record all that stuff. And that's exactly their chapter, that, that, which is an interview with them saying, what's your process? How do you do it? Who do you talk to first? Do they get paid? How much do they get paid? What happens? Um, and that's really important. And, you know, you can get people to come and talk to you about that who run Aboriginal design companies, you know, that, and that's a really useful thing to do. Um, because they've got, they've got a lot of experience and know how, how to deal with people as well because it's not easy trying to fit into that niche and make a living out of that. Uh, I think we've got three questions, so one, two, three. Hi. Um, <clears throat> how do current students go about not perpetuating the insufficient framework in which they've been taught within... So how do I not make kind of the mistakes and, you know, all the things that you're saying is wrong. I'm a current student, so how do I not kind of, yeah, perpetuate that, I guess, is my question. I think not <clears throat> by not simply just relying upon the education system for your education. I think going beyond that 
um, and broadening your horizons would be probably pretty helpful. Um, because, yeah, if, if you're trying to learn from a system that m maybe you mightn't even agree with, um, then you're, you're probably not going to get very far. Um, and so I just, you know, find out who the elders are in your community um, if you're interested in design in your own community or whatever community it is that you're interested in designing in, um, for starters. I would say if you're still at uni, push back. Ask, demand more of your teachers. Ask them to actually respond in a better way and to source these people that can provide the answers to you. That's, I mean, that's what I did. I was a troublemaker. I, I think that's great advice. Listen, you know, I was walking down Burke Street Mall today um, and I came across a protest against Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander deaths in custody. And so there's opportunities around you all the time. So I didn't... I thought, OK, I'm here in Melbourne. I need to stop and listen to this. And, I, you know, I stopped for 10 minutes and I... You know, this guy was... You know, he was very fired up, understandably. It's a pretty serious subject. And he megaphoned at me for about 10 minutes until he realised that I was listening. And, you know, we had some good, you know... Um, we had a good connection of learning from each other in that moment where I didn't say anything and he taught me a lot about how passionate he was. There's a lot you can learn from outside your institution, exactly as Jasmine has said, and you need to do that. But, yeah, ask your institution, are we going to learn any content about this? And they might feel a little bit embarrassed and you could say, maybe you could ask the Teaching and Learning Committee if this is a priority for them in the next year or two. You could learn some of the language of how the bureaucracy works and give it back to them would be my advice. No, like teaching and learning committees, heads of school, uh, your student evaluations. I really love this subject, but I was disappointed that it wasn't more about X because they get read by the person who's the boss of the teacher. Um, the only thing I'd add to the, all of that great advice would be to um, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Um, one thing I'm finding with general Australia, big, big broad statement here, um, is that sometimes Aboriginal content can be um, a, a bit of a, a hard wall for some people to get over or they feel a bit nervous making a mistake or they say the wrong thing. Um, I think people will forgive you on, on small mishaps and mistakes and mispronunciations, things like that, that those... And, and if, if we're going to get too nervous about those kind of things, then we're going to stop talking to each other. We're going to have no conversation at all. Um, so, something interesting to think about. I think I've, I can't remember who said it, but you can make a mistake once and that's fine, but just don't make it again. <laughs> yeah. uh, Thank next you. Question? Hi, guys. Um, my question is going to follow a bit of idea that accumulated after hearing all of you. Um, uh, you guys talked about how education structure needs to be dismantled and then, you know, built up from the beginning. So I was, uh, I was imagining, what if we include um, elements of that particular indi indigenous uh, community of that particular area into the, the early beginnings, like primary schools? When I mean that, I don't mean like teaching them the, the art or something, you know, just introducing the, the ways they used to, they used to, you know, live or probably just dissect the ways 
they would um, live in the in, in, in that community, and then in that in that way, uh, when they come to a level of after high school, they don't they don't meet a shock of oh I don't know anything about it, or maybe oh that's interesting I can go there for once and maybe I I I I, I love it or maybe I won't. So it's more like. Let's let's just have like a personal analysis. When we were kids, when we were in primary school, we had one memory of oh, I was small, I used to do this, and now I can still do it and remember it. And all I need to do is just uh, further my research or idea or or study about this thing, you know. So my question um, is, if we introduce something or some elements. Uh, in playgrounds or some uh, or somewhere in primary schools, what positive impacts do you think that'll have in in community that we have in Australia and in now, and um, what would be appreciated and what do you think will not get, uh, you know, such such a, a approval? Well, you've got an interesting example just over the river of a great playground that has some Bunrung rock carvings in it. Um, I think it's quite a beautiful Biramma. design. Yeah, Birma. Um, so that you can go and have a look and decide. Do you mean in terms of curriculum? Yes. Like, you can get it from the, from the primary school. You have something like that in their own primary areas where they're playing every day. They have something that they can relate to, say, oh, this is from the community that used to live here or what is associated with this land. And they grow up with that. That is already in their, you know. Yeah. In, I mean, there's in, a lot of social idea, science. They get a culture shock. Like yep. your example when you said you were teaching a, 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 a student in, in his first years and, and then he just said, oh, did you watch footy? And then that was something that when he was small, it was talked about everywhere. In his school, in his house, household probably. If there was something that was talked with that child when he was small about that community, he might, you know, come up with a question. Maybe. I'm just, I'm just presuming in a scenario. You know? No, no uh, there's yeah. a lot of science to back up your idea around early impressions on children and the, the spaces that they inhabit. And, and a lot of it... I think it's a great idea that the first spaces that children come into contact with impression on them and then thus they go on and want, want to expect that type of good design. Um, will, will they appreciate and get an understanding of Aboriginal culture through Indigenous landscape design? Maybe, maybe. I don't see why not. Um, but I think there'd be, there'd be way more to go than just, than just that. But sure. I think the earlier you can normalise an understanding of country, the better. Um, and even if it is quite simple for young children, and that at least that in, it is normal for them so that when they grow up, they aren't in shock. And I agree with that comment. I think that's great. Um, but I also think we need to be careful to not relegate everything to the past and not what was here and what used to happen and actually infuse this very early on a contemporary understanding of Indigenous culture and practice so that there's not that sort of museumification of people and recognising there are still people here and it's still someone's country. Question? Um, I'm a landscape architect and um, 
with the Australian Institute of Landscape Architects, we've um, written a reconciliation action plan and we're now going through um, all of the actions <laughs> that we've written for ourselves and trying to figure out how, how we can take them on. And one of them um, yeah, is about um, supporting students and um, uh, internships and, and that kind of thing. And, um, and what, uh, one of the questions has been, um, uh, are we ready for that? Or do we have culturally safe places um, to, to be able to do that yet? Or are there other steps that need to come first? Um, and I just also wanted to, um, I was going to ask a question sort of about, um, well, through the right process, we've been um, sort of writing guidelines or writing actions, but I think really it's incumbent on everyone in this country who's had a lack of education in this area to educate themselves, and we've got a massive catch-up to do, um, and especially... Um, built, built environment professionals, I don't understand how um, there can be any subjects um, in architecture, landscape architecture, interior design, any design subjects where we're living and, um, and building and working on Aboriginal land and country, um, how you can't understand that fundamentally. And I think there's a lot that you can do to educate yourself. I think there's a lot that you need to hear from traditional owners directly and you need to learn by talking with people or that pe um, Aboriginal people need to express themselves so that there's not something appropriated or lost in translation. But I think there's a lot that we can do just to build that basic foundation um, of our education. But I suppose um, if there was a question out of all of that, <laughs> it would be do, do you think that um, we're ready or do you think that there's steps that we need um, to take to make these internships and, and make these safe, culturally safe places work? You're definitely ready because if you wait till you're some, in some perfect environment where you think you've got everything ready, you won't ever get there. So you have to just say, we're going to do it. And, you know, uh, as Michael said, if you screw it up, say, I'm really sorry about that. We're going to try and be better. Like... I don't think you should wait. Um, and, you know, look at all... Lots of people have done heaps of research about this kind of stuff. So there's been lots of research about Indigenous people in higher education. What support do they need? People have interviewed people, you know, research to death. Now people need to do the thing that the research has told them to do. So we know that any student from any kind of disadvantaged or culturally diverse background is most at risk of dropping out of uni if they have to work a lot because they don't have enough money. Yeah. And so give them enough money so that they're not reliant on working a lot outside because that pulls them away from uni and causes stress and the boss says, oh, can you work an extra day this week and it's the same week as your design's due and all that sort of stuff. So we know what all the factors are. So I guess just another layer of planning can really help. And, of course, you probably won't... No one's going to get it right all of the time, but learn from the people who've got it most right already because there's there's institutions out there that do it really well. There's a lot of institutions that get heaps of Indigenous students in and they get a tiny number out. And there's some that get less in, but they get almost the same number out because they're well-supported along the way. So... 
I think that those kinds of uh, research platforms are already out there and I'm sure there's heaps of people who'd be super interested in landscape architecture because it's very connected to lots of people's interests in communities and urban areas. I think in part too, it's perhaps being open with the people that are coming through, the students that are coming through and saying, look, we don't have the perfect environment and we welcome your honest and open feedback so that we can actually make change and let them know that, you know, what, what the, support, the support that currently can be around them could be different if it's not what's actually working. And so you're actually co-creating what the support needs to be with the students that come through and have them be aware of that, that is, that's what can happen let them know that they can t make change if it's not working for them. That's a brilliant idea. If someone had said that to you, Jasmine, what would you have said? <laughs> would, I mean, would that have been a helpful question if someone had said... Uh, <laughs> I mean, for me, uh, in my undergraduate, I would have certainly said that um, actually having someone to talk to about the frustrations of not being, not being able to have critical debate would be really important. Having someone that you can just offload all of that to in a confidential way would have been really helpful. Um, and then having, you know, a high, understanding what the hierarchy is so that if you want to have a conversation with someone who can affect change, that you can, then that's available and knowing that that's available. Um, and being part, well, I was lucky to be part of the planning and review boards and all those sorts of things. So I did get to have an understanding of how the university worked. But actually putting yourself in those positions, not every student's going to want to do that. But that knowing that that's available to you so you can participate in the way that the curriculum is developed. There, I mean, they're, they're the things that I probably would have asked for. I think that's so, sorry, just so important about what we have to gain um, in having more... Aboriginal landscape architects, architects, um, practitioners, um, design practitioners and staff and students as well. And that's a way that we can learn. I, I think um, uh, an Aboriginal landscape architect just graduated this week, Adelaide. Yeah. And um, Paul Herzig, I think, yeah. is the only other Indigenous landscape architect that I know of. There are three now. There are three. Awesome. Maybe, so. yeah without burdening them, maybe ask them if they'd like to give you some advice. They might, they might want to, or they might mm. think I'm really busy, I want to have a holiday too. <laughs> uh, any more questions? One more question if we've got one. No? All right. Thank you for coming and thank you all for coming as well. It's been a really enjoyable conversation and hopefully something can come out of it. Thank you. You are listening to Black Architecture's Indigenising Education Talk. Black Architecture is an annual Empervillian talk series bringing together Indigenous built environment practitioners. 